We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated on Fan Nation. And we're rolling right along here in the 2021 season. Last night, we brought you our college football playoff rankings breakdown. And then we're back today for an Oregon-Washington preview podcast with uh, Husky Maven publisher Dan Raley here to talk all about this Oregon-Washington matchup. Dan, how are we doing? Thanks for being here. We're good. We're good. We're, what, three days away from a, from a, a good football game, I hope. But we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah no it's it's uh you know a lot is is on the line you know these two teams didn't get to play last year so uh and there's plenty of animosity between <laughs> between the two schools so maybe that's kind of a, a good way to to kind of intro into this podcast you know take take me into you know a little bit of the mood uh for, for washington for washington fans you know where are they kind of at you know it's it's not been the best season for them but things have kind of turned around you know two two straight wins here and get that win over stanford you know where are they at well, this has been one of the strangest Husky teams in, in a while. They, they have a lot of talent, but uh, they've been really disappointing. And, and they've been really soft as far as both lines go. And and uh, I think their coaching inexperience kind of showed. You know, they had a coaching change last year with Jimmy Lake, and he came, moved up, promoted, uh, you know, from assistant coach. And he didn't make quite the uh, transition that, say, Mario Cristobal or Chip Kelly did at Oregon. And and um, I, th- I thought he got out coached a couple of times early in this season, and it cost him a couple of football games. But as we are at game after eight games, they uh, they look pretty good against Stanford and uh, pulled it out with 21 seconds to go and showed a little bit of grit that they've been lacking almost all year. So strange team. Yeah, you, you mentioned Jimmy Lake, and and I feel like you know with with how crazy Twitter was going yesterday, I have to ask about the you know the recruiting comments that he made with with uh you know he was asked about Oregon being a recruiting rival for them, and had some some comments to say about you know we we uh, recruit against schools of more academic prowess. You know what, what do you make of that since you're you know around this program? Well, that's another part of his inexperience. I think he was he was trying so careful not to say anything. You know, some radio guy said, hey, give me one word on Oregon. And he goes, nice try. And, you know, so he's trying to be careful not to do anything, say anything that would be inflammatory. And then he just stepped right in it with that comment on the recruiting. And I don't think he even thought he said anything wrong. But that thing was up, like you said, all over Twitter. And ESPN was, you know, showing it within an hour of uh, him saying it. And, 
And so it was kind of dumb, but, uh, you know, here we are in Oregon, Washington week where dumb things happen. Yeah. And then just, just a, a quick follow-up for that, you know, Oregon's obviously become a recruiting power under Mario Cristobal. What's, what's the recruiting looking like for Washington? I mean, I know that they're not one of the heavy hitters here, but what's, what's your kind of take on, on how they've done, you know, bringing in talent. I think it's really fallen off since uh, Chris Peterson left. He's, he had a class uh, that he brought in last year, and five of the 15 guys have played. One has started. Uh, you know, Sam Heward has not played much. Um, average class. This one has got really low numbers, and he did get a Texas running back that everybody wanted, you know, like Oregon and Alabama and Ohio State. And that kid's in school actually passing up on his senior year, but um, not too much uh, – you know, to get excited about for that fan base. And in fact, they, they follow it pretty close and they're really unhappy about his recruiting right now. Yeah. It seems like it, it leaves, you know, something to be desired. And, and, you know, we know how, how big recruiting is in in the uh, college football world, but had to, I wanted to, to start with that one just because I feel like, you know, everybody's talking about it right now. So um, kind of just transitioning a little bit here and diving into the, you know, on-field product and, and what we're going to you know be in store for on Saturday. Uh, I think it would be cool to start with the the UW offense and kind of see what we're dealing with there. Uh, I feel like a good starting point for any offense is the quarterback, you know, the guy running the show. What can you tell me about Dylan Morris? Well, he's the shortest starting quarterback in 40 years at Washington. It's six foot even. They usually have a big, tall guy, you know, like uh, Jake Locker or uh, Jake Browning was six two. But, you know, they've had a lot of six foot four quarterbacks uh, in the last – 30, 40 years. And, and uh, Dylan Morris was surprised when he won the four quarterback competition last year, which involved Ethan Garbers now at UCLA, who's probably going to be a star in this league. And um, then there was a kid from uh, Sacramento state, a big sky MVP named Kevin Thompson, who think, I think he won the job last year, but he got hurt right before the opener. So Morris was kind of like a, a default player, got the job, and didn't let go of it this year when they started back up again, even with Heward behind him. Heward, I think, is pretty good. And I think Heward will probably take this job from him when he's been around the program a little longer. Um, but Dylan Morris, uh, he's getting bashed a lot by the fan base. But, you know, the bottom line is he's started 12 games and three of them. He's pulled them out in the last couple of minutes. I mean, last week he won it uh, with a, a, a touchdown pass with 21 seconds to go. Uh, last year against Utah, I beat him with 36 seconds to go, throwing a touchdown pass to Kate Otten. And then at Arizona, he threw a touchdown pass with six minutes to go to beat those guys. So th- there is some grit to him. Um, he was supposed to be this he, – he was supposed to have won the job because he was an error-free quarterback, but he leads the conference in interceptions this year with eight. And he's made some bad decisions. So I think he's an average guy. Um, I think he's he's a tough little average guy, but I think, you know, the fan base wants something – bigger and better than him, like Sam Heward, who's, you know, comes in with a five-star rating and all these gaudy stats of 13,000 passing yards. And, and he looks like he's a, a pretty good, you know, quarterback just moving around. He looks really like he's got a lot of finesse. He's a lefty. And uh, like I said, maybe next year you'll see him running the show at some point, but right now you're going to get Dylan Morris on, on um, Saturday, who actually was offered by Oregon, which was one of his five offers. He took a visit to Eugene and knew all along he was going to go to Washington because he grew up in the shadows of the program. So, okay, yeah, cool little cool little backstory there. I mean, I wasn't aware of that as far as uh, Morris's recruitment goes, but 
you know, I mean, even if he is an average quarterback, Dan, I mean, I, I think that if you look at a guy like Chase Garbers, and we were just talking about Ethan, um, you know, he had a, a fairly decent day against Oregon. You know, that game came right down to the wire. But um, I, I think that, that Oregon's defense has, has uh, you know, it looks like they're coming together a little bit more. Um, obviously, Kayvon Thibodeau hasn't been as available as they, they'd like, you know, with him having that ankle injury earlier. But with him back, it totally changes, uh, you know, the complexion of the defense and then what the offense is really able to do. And then got a little bit of injuries in the secondary. We're, we're still waiting to see if safety Steve Stevens is going to be able to go. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. I just got back from talking with Mario Cristobal and some of the players. So that's the latest that we're hearing there, and that's something to watch. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's always nice to get a little bit of a feel for for what, uh, you know, a, a team has at quarterback because that's the most important part of the offense. And kind of just building off of that, this is a team that loves to run the football. I mean, I, I don't know if, if that is saying more about the confidence that they have in, in their running backs with Sean McGrew and Cameron Davis or if they maybe don't feel as comfortable with Morris – where do you feel like this team's identity is, um, you know, at least on the offensive side of the ball? Well, it's, it's really strange because uh, Jimmy Lake wanted to be a running uh, football team. He thought that would exude toughness and give them this great image. And they didn't do it very well last year, but they came back this year with all five starters intact. And it was the biggest line in the history of the school, averaging 324 per guy uh, with this – Ulamu Ali plays left guard. He's one of the biggest guys in the conference. And and they kind of came out and fell flat on their face uh, against Montana. They, they couldn't move those guys off the ball. They got they got beat up front. And then Michigan just uh, crushed them. And, but, but they've started to kind of slowly make it happen and, and, and uh, get cohesive. But what they've done is they've changed a couple of the guys. They have um, – uh, they have a guy that's playing uh, left tackle more often. They have a guy uh, – well, they have a guy at left tackle who's replaced Jackson Kirkland because he's injured right now, and he's the all-pack 12 guy. I don't know if he'll play um, Saturday against the Ducks, but they have a redshirt freshman out there who's played pretty well. And so they, at times they've had three new starters. And, um, and then they've, you know, pieced it together with these new guys, which is kind of bizarre, but – yeah, that's been probably the biggest disappointment has been this offensive line with all of the, the background and the, and the size. And I think maybe they got too big, so they weren't very, um, weren't, weren't very mobile. Okay. So we're, we're looking at, you know, you know, kind of a team and I don't want to, I don't think influx is the right word, but you know, they're, they're looking to get a little bit more out of the, out of the group that they have. I know that they haven't been the, the highest scoring offense, you know, uh, this year, put up 52 points against Arkansas state, but, you know, we, we both know that's that's Arkansas State, so you can't put too much weight into that. But um, yeah, w- with this with this running back tandem, I, I think that from from an Oregon perspective, if you're looking at kind of the Oregon defensive line against uh, these running backs, I, I gotta feel like there's some confidence from from the Oregon angle here because of the the, the growth that we've seen from the defensive line. You know, Jason Jones, Pope Omavai, they they've both taken some big strides, and and we're seeing a lot of guys rotating in there as well. So I feel like even though the, the strength for, for UW is maybe running the ball, I think Oregon is, is pretty equipped to rise to the occasion there. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised because they did say, you know, we, we, we did well against Stanford is what the coaching staff said, but now we're going to play Oregon, which is a different animal. So we'll see. It's interesting to kind of look at that, though, because Washington beat Stanford and Oregon didn't. I mean, maybe it was you know one whistle away from, from going Oregon's way, but – 
Um, it's kind of interesting to look at kind of how these two, how schools in general, just like throughout the year, you know, they, they share common opponents and, you know, what can you draw from, from uh, similar or different results um, as, as far as that goes. But for, for some of the other players that we maybe want to keep an eye on for, for the Huskies, you know, getting to know this team a little bit, Kate Otten, he's, he's looking like one of the, the stronger tight ends in the PAC 12. And uh, I think he's going to be someone that the ducks definitely have to key in on, on Saturday. Yeah. He's had a tough year because he was supposed to be an all American candidate and he, he got COVID and it knocked him out of a couple of weeks. And then since he's been back, the opposition just really, you know, uh, gears towards stopping him. So he hasn't done much and he used to, he was like the number one target last year, but you know, the guys that are doing it for Washington are the two little wideouts, uh, redshirt freshman Jalen McMillan, who won the Stanford game with a, catch at the end and and then Romo Dunze before he's done he's going to be one of the better wide receivers in in the conference he's about six foot three and and he's really really athletic and so he's the guy that I think Oregon should be more concerned about is Rome Odunze he he missed like the first three games with some injury too but he's come back and he scored against UCLA and he scored against he won the game against Arizona and and he's just a big fast athletic receiver and and I would say he's one of the guys that probably the Oregon coaches have really high in their scouting report. Yeah. Rome, uh, Odunze, is that Odunze? Is yeah. It? yeah. Odunze. He's, he's a name that I, I recognize, you know, from, from covering recruiting for a couple of years now. And, um, Jalen McMillan as well. I know he's one of their, their more highly touted recruits that have come through Seattle in, in recent years. Uh, Terrell Bynum is, a, is another good name, uh, to, to keep an eye on here, but you know, here, here, you hear it from Dan, uh, keep an eye out for Rome. Uh, as uh, someone who could really make a difference for this uh, Husky offense uh, this week against Oregon. Dan, what else do you think is is maybe worth noting here? We, we've kind of hit on a couple different guys at uh, different positions on this offense. Um, and anything else that you feel like is worth noting here? Well, besides the offensive line taking a big hit as being too soft early on, the the fan base, the media, we've all been all over this offensive coordinator, John Donovan, who came from the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he was previously the OC at Penn State, and, and he got fired there. And when he got hired, everybody knew that he'd been fired on the college ranks, and so he was not really accepted in the first place. And then they come out this year, and they've been really unimaginative at times with their offense, and people blame him. And, uh, you know, they're really conservative against Stanford, but they didn't make any mistakes. So what they did worked, but they ended up with, uh, you know, four field goals too, instead of four touchdowns on those drives. So, uh, you know, if it's a coaching battle, you know, Washington's going to come out second best in this one. And I don't think this John Donovan's going to be the offensive coordinator next year is my opinion. John Donovan, will he, will he still be in, in Seattle next year? We'll have to have to keep an eye on that. But you know, just what you're talking about with, with Washington settling for field goals, one area that, that Oregon hasn't really excelled at this year is getting off the field on third down. So will, will we see you know, Washington be able to take advantage of that and maybe capitalize on, on some longer drives and, and maybe turn some of those field goals into touchdowns and, you know, put up more points uh, on the board against Oregon. I mean, the, the defense has, has, you know, been growing. And I think that, um, you know, the pass rush is getting better. We didn't see as much of it last week against Colorado. They were just, I feel like they were throwing screens all the time. So that obviously takes some of the pass rushing element out of it. But 
Um, I think overall, I mean, if you're looking at Oregon for, for Tim DeRuiter, I think that you got to be pretty satisfied with where they're at in, in year one at least. I think, you know, maybe one of my critiques would maybe be forcing turnovers um, just because that was at such a high clip to start the year. And then Bennett Williams goes down and you see a little bit of a lull here. Um, but, you know, you talk about Dylan Morris leading the Pac-12 interceptions and, and maybe the Ducks can take advantage of that come Saturday. Well, we'll see. You know, I, I think I think there's a lot of talent on this Washington football team. I just don't think it's been well coached. So, you know, we'll see if Washington can uh, can do something, come up with a game plan that works against, you know, a better football team. Yeah, we'll we'll have to see if they if they're how the game plan maybe looks a little bit different going against Oregon. You know, if if there's ever a game to to pull out all the stops, it's it's got to be you know this Oregon Washington rivalry game for the Huskies. But just with the way the the complexion of the Pac-12, the way it's kind of turned, I mean, there's more on the line I think for Washington than just this rivalry game. If if they can be Oregon, you know, well, who knows where they could go in the Pac-12 conversation? Yeah, I think they. They'd be tied for first if they win this game. And, you know, they all know that. And, you know, Dylan Morris said, you know, practice is different this week than it's been. You know, they they got ready to play Michigan one week. But they say, you know, this is the game that everybody's pointing to on the schedule, no matter what was going to happen at Michigan. And, um, and, and you know, I, I think everybody really understands what this rivalry is all about. And, and I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but I am writing a book with another guy from Oregon on this football rivalry. And, you know, we consider it one of the five – biggest cross-state rivalries in the country, you know, next to like Oklahoma, Texas, Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia, Florida. And then I threw in Notre Dame and Stanford, even though I think there's probably got to be something a little more heated than that one. But this one is right up there as far as the, you know, ju- just the, the, the hate. <laughs> Let's just say it straight up. I mean, you won't find another series in this country where one team wins 54 to nothing and the next year the other team wins 66 to nothing and has it's a 120 point split that happened in 73 and 74 and those were two really bad football teams at each school each year and they took turns really you know lighting it up on each other and it's never stopped it's never stopped since then so you yeah you you talk about the the animosity and the hate and this rivalry I think it's really interesting just kind of where we're at right now with, with um, you know, the evolution or de-evolution of, you know, these two programs, because you look at Oregon, you know, they can hang their hat on being the first Pac-12 team to go to the playoff and, and they got a win. But that year Washington went to the playoff. They just trounced Oregon at home in Eugene. You know, you got, you got Jake Browning, you know, pointing at, at these uh, Oregon defensive backs and when they went four and eight that year, and, you know, everything is looking really good. And then Chris Peterson uh, decides to, to step down from, from the head coaching job there. So I think that's another really interesting aspect of this program is it looks like Oregon's, you know, on the ascent again. But but Washington and, and other programs that the Ducks have to face going down the line here, they want to play spoiler. Yeah. Yeah. No, Washington, you know, used to be the powerhouse with Don James's teams and beat Oregon 15 out of 18 times. And, and then – they you know, coaching changed to Jim Lambright and he opened the door. I mean, he had a chance to beat Oregon and he threw on the goal line instead of running the football with Napoleon Kaufman. And, and I think there's a video down there that shows what happened um, that that's maybe played at every football game, but you know, it changed the whole course of this, this series, the, the Wheaton interception. And there was no reason even to provide him an opportunity to intercept that ball and go, but Washington's paid for it. And, you know, we're talking, 
27 years later and Washington hasn't pulled out of that mistake. I mean, sure. They had their 70, you know, points at Oregon in 2016 and then they won the next year, but they've been on the downside of this series uh, paying for all of their dominance early on, because I think Washington got really arrogant, you know, when they beat Oregon almost every year and, and pulled out games that they shouldn't even have won, you know, with a punt return or, or something like that. But, you know, everything changed on that interception and, Everybody in the Duck fan base knows it, and I think everybody at Washington knows it too. And and Jimmy Lake's coming into this game with a team that's underperformed. And and this game, he should he should have been uh, a little better situated, you know, to to take on the Ducks because I think it's going to be the legacy of his career whether he can handle this series or not because. Steve Sarkeesian couldn't, uh, Tyrone Willingham couldn't, um, Peterson won a couple, but you know, he lost more than he won. And, and so this is the barometer now. It's not USC coming into Eugene or Seattle anymore. That's the way it used to be, but it's, it's the ducks playing the Huskies and the Huskies have dropped down a notch, even sometimes two notches and, and they're fighting to get back what they once had. And it's, you know, quarter century, if not more. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Fun to get a little bit of a you know a glimpse of that that history between these two teams and this rivalry, Dan. And it, yeah, I mean, you talk about how it's the barometer for for the Jimmy Lake you know tenure there in Seattle. It's I feel like it just comes down to Oregon is the the class of the Pac-12. At least they have been for for the past couple of years now. So they're going to be that measuring stick. You know, can how do you measure up against the best that the conference has to offer? And it's you got to figure it's going to be a, a huge success for 
for Jimmy Lake if they can, you know, knock off the Ducks here, seeing that that Oregon's probably they are going into this one as the favorites. Right. Right. No, it's uh, you know, it wasn't even close, you know, way back when during that 12 game win streak for Oregon. You know, every game was really one sided. And it's like Washington had a, a Cinderella deal or something. I mean, you know, once they stumbled, you know, stumbled, they, they just uh, really had to pay for their past sins, I guess, of, of mistreating the Ducks. But, um, you know, I it's probably kind of changed. And maybe the Ducks are in, inviting Washington to get you know, all inspired to beat them now because then, you know, the Ducks are in the envious position of, of winning all the time. And, and when you do that, you tend to get arrogant, you know, USC's done it. Washington's done it. You know, the Ducks aren't going to be exempt from that. So, um, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Just the tone from, from talking to these players and, and talking to Mario Cristobal, you know, they're, they're definitely, uh, you know, you know, heads down, uh, just just focused on the task at hand. You know, the rankings come out yesterday, but they're, you know, Crystal Ball is saying we can't look past this next game that's on our schedule because that, that could come back to bite us. But, um, yeah, Dan, I kind of wanted to, to shift a little bit and, and talk about this Husky defense because I feel like, you know, when, when they're really playing some of their best ball, uh, the, the defense has really been, you know, the, the big talking point for them. Um, and I feel like when we're looking at the defense, uh, a great place to start is uh, outside linebackers on Tupuola, Fatui. Hopefully, I said that okay. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, let's let's maybe just start there and and you know kind of work our way through some of the some of the big names here on the Washington defense. Well, to make it easier for you, we call him ZTF. I was going to try that, but I wanted to give it a give it a shot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, he was supposed to be the um, the shining star of this football team. I mean, he was supposed to be the best player on this football team. And I'm sitting there at spring practice, and he comes limping off like a pogo stick off the field. Didn't even hit anybody. He just cut. And he ripped his Achilles and he crash landed on a training table. And before you know it, they're hauling him off on a cart. And and then we find out three days later that he's got in a torn Achilles. And it's like, wow, huge Paul over the football team because he's kind of the heart and soul. I mean, you know, nobody could block him last year. And um, so he's he's come back six six months off of a an injury that often takes 10 months to recover from. And uh, he's continued to get more and more. Uh, snaps he's played three games now he started against Stanford he didn't really do anything at Stanford whereas at Arizona he got a sack and got in the backfield and UCLA really made uh, uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson nervous at all times that he was in there for 10 plays but um, he's still I think in recovery to some degree he's definitely not going to be anywhere near the level he was last year which you know is it's uh, levels of your guy coming off the edge, Kayvon and uh, Thibodeau. So, so he's he's working his way back into it. The interesting development from the Stanford game was at inside linebacker. They those guys had been average all year, even though Edifuan Yulafoshio, um, we just call him Eddie. Uh, he he got he he hurt his arm and had surgery, and he's done. And he was a second team All Pack. 12 guy and one of the leading tacklers in the conference. So I thought they'd really get lit up on the inside row, but Carson Bruner came in against Stanford and had 16 tackles and looked like a star. And he's a, he's a redshirt freshman. His dad was a tight end at Washington on their national championship team and a, and a 14 year NFL guy. Uh, so Carson comes in and we knew the guy was, you know, decent, but he came in, it's like one of those overnight sensations. I mean, he's probably never coming out of the lineup again. 
And, um, you know, he was all, he was the PAC 12s defensive player of the week and both freshman player of the week. And, and, uh, I just think he's kind of like, uh, you know, the new star of this football team and he, he speaks really well. And I think, you know, once they get ZTF back to play with him, that the defense will be really, um, you know, something to mess with, uh, something to be worried about a little bit, but right now I think with, uh, the outside guy still in recovery and, uh, Bruner's had a sensational game, but he's still a young guy with one start behind him. Um, you know, there's possibilities, but they're not there yet. The, the, the big question mark, you know, the, the secondary is, is, is what their strength is. And that's not even, you know, there's nothing's changed, even though some of the personnel has, but the, the front defensive front has been kind of soft and that's been their weakness where they gave up 343 yards of Michigan and, and um, hadn't played well until Stanford. They, they held Stanford to like, I think it was 76 yards and, and, and finally looked well, you know, looked, looked like they, they were projected to be. And, and part of that was because uh, Bruner played so well behind him at linebacker. So yeah, the defense is, is solid, but you know, still got a few things to worry about with people not, uh, you know, as healthy or as experienced as they should be. Yeah. Bruner's a, another name that, that is familiar, you know, just coming from the Pacific Northwest. So it's cool to see that that he's uh, you know doing well, stepping into a larger role. You talk about the Oregon comparison that Jeff Bossa uh, stepping into a bigger role at linebacker as well. He, him being a converted safety after big injuries to Justin Flo and Drew Mathis. So both of these teams having to do a little bit of shifting on defense from from the sounds of it. But I think with, with me, Dan, I feel like I'm I'm really interested in that secondary because I feel like that's been the the position where we've seen UW have the most success. And then they're sending guys to the league on a consistent basis at that position. And, and they have some really good guys playing corner and safety. You, you talk about Brendan Radley Hiles coming over from Oklahoma, talented guy who spent some time at Calabasas where Micah Pittman played. And then he went to IMG and then Trent McDuffie is, is I feel like the class of the PAC 12 at corner alongside Mikhail Wright. Uh, what can you tell me about some of these defensive backs and, you know, how they might factor into to slowing down this Oregon pass attack on Saturday? Yeah, well, the strength of this Washington team has been the cornerbacks, McDuffie for sure, and then Kyler Gordon plays the other side, and he's a sophomore, but I'll let you bet he goes to the NFL after this season because he's 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 probably been the best one back there, even better than McDuffie, who's been a little banged up. So, and then you have you mentioned uh, Bookie Radley Hiles, who came from Oklahoma as a cornerback, nickelback. Well, here's the interesting thing about the secondary is. They've started seven different guys in the two safety spots, including Bradley. I mean, Bookie Radley Hiles moved to safety against Stanford. And then next to him was Dominic Hampton, who was a cornerback. And uh, those two guys started at safety for the first time against Stanford. And they did well. And they're both physical guys. And they, the key to that, the reason there's been so much turnover is there's been injuries, but they put in some, they started with two young guys that just did not, uh, you know, play their their scheme right and they got beat you know they got lit up against uh michigan for sure and those guys um are, are on the bench now but uh there's a couple veterans cam williams and asa turner and even alex cook are all injured and they all started last year at times and this year as well so that leaves you with uh bookie uh, as a converted safety and and dominique hampton is a new safety starter so um We'll see if Oregon can exploit the, exploit those guys, but overall the secondary has been Washington's only saving grace this year as far as being really productive. 
the, the Oregon offense looks like it's it's turning a corner. You talk about looking back to the past two games against UCLA and Colorado. Anthony Brown had those two big interceptions that that you know gave UCLA a second chance. But but aside from that, he had that big touchdown run that iced the game uh, against UCLA. And then last week against Colorado, he had his his best statistical day uh, passing since he got to Oregon, over 300 yards passing, and just the the efficiency that that Oregon operated at on offense is is going to be something that they really need to you know, latch on to and hopefully carry forward throughout the season um, because they got some really big games coming up here. It, it starts in Seattle with, with one of the stronger defenses in the Pac-12, and, and I'm going to be interested to see kind of how they're able to – I want to see that that DB wide receiver battle because you have Devin Williams who, who really looks like he's putting it all together. Uh, he's a guy who since he got to Eugene, everyone has just been kind of wondering, you know, where is Devin Williams? Why aren't we seeing more of him? He's, he's so gifted. And now we're seeing it really come together for him, and he's putting it together. Uh, Troy Franklin, a uh, freshman a wide receiver, has has done pretty well. Got his first touchdown grab last week, and and the the Ducks running running backs are are really coming together as well. Even though um, CJ Verdell is out for the year with with his injury, Travis Dye has has showed no signs of slowing down. Um, he's the the focal point of the offense, and then Byron Cardwell. Uh, really exploded onto the scene last week. So there's there's plenty of weapons for for Oregon to to you know really attack UW with. And uh, even though we don't know just yet if Alex Forsythe's going to play, he's he's he missed uh, all of October um, due to back spasms. You know everything we're hearing is that he's going to be ready to go um, from from Mario Cristobal. But even though they've been shifting pieces around in that offensive line, it's it's really been operating at a high level. Yeah. Well, this on this end of it it's going to come down to the trenches because people didn't throw at Washington because those guys are, you know, the strength of the team and and the defensive line's been the weakness of the defense, but they did play well against uh, Stanford. They've, they've got people back that were injured. They have a freshman who started at Arizona, a true freshman. He's the, you know, he's the the best one of this class. Um, If they've solved their problems up front, they'll make it interesting with Oregon. If they play like they've played most of the year, Oregon will run all over them. I know the Ducks love to run the ball. And, you know, with with how the, the offensive line has been playing, I think that maybe they have a, a bit of an advantage there, It's especially, you know, after what you were just saying with, with the defensive line kind of being a bit of a question mark. And, you know, we're not really sure what, what level they're going to play to. But, I, I mean, the, the Ducks really haven't faced, I think, an edge talent like ZTF this year. I mean, they, they did have some, some pretty good uh, defensive linemen uh, against Ohio state. So as I say that, I'm kind of backtracking. <laughs> I, th- I think they, they did play some pretty, pretty strong defensive linemen, but you know, ZTF is up there as, you know, among the best uh, pass rushers, edge defenders for, for Oregon. So we're going to have to see if they're able to neutralize him and, you know, how, how big of an impact he can ultimately have um, especially as if the ducks, you know, look to, to push the ball more because I think you've got to build off this performance for Anthony Brown, show that you're confident in him and, and definitely dial up some pass plays for him. Yeah. Well, you know, sports illustrated had a, had a mock draft in August and I think Thibodeau was second overall on the draft and ZTF was sixth, even as an injured player. So, um, you know, I would be, I wouldn't expect to see him here next year either. Um, you know, with all of the reputation he has right now, but, that just shows you, you know, that the potential for this game to be really good if ZTF can play anywhere near what he's capable of. And you've got Thibodeau as the best player in the conference coming from the other direction. Um, 
you know, that's why they play these games so we can see how it matches up and, and, and see what happens uh, up front, especially. So, and the weather's going to be bad too. So that could, you know, change things around a little bit. You know, we'll see who's more comfortable, uh, Brown or, or um, Dylan Morris standing in the rain trying to hand it off or throw it. Uh, Cause I think the weather's going to be pretty bad, uh, you know, for a 430 kickoff. So we'll yeah, keep that- all those things in mind. <laughs> Yeah, the, the weather always can can contribute to some chaos. Uh, as we wind down here, Dan, I think you know there, there's obviously a lot of noise around this game, and and with everything that's transpired this year, I think Oregon is appropriately viewed as the favorite. And we've kind of talked about this ep- this episode of the podcast why that's kind of the perception. But you know, just to to kind of give get things from your angle, what do you think a, a win would mean for Washington if they were able to pull it off? It would save this season uh, because there's. You know, the Stanford game was just like a nice little Band-Aid over a wound. But people have been really disappointed with this football team because at one point it had 20 out of the 22 starters coming back before a couple hit the the transfer portal. And then, you know, it's just kind of falling apart. I mean, they lost to Montana. I mean, that that in in itself was a a program rarity, a a real blot. You know, Michigan lost application. Appalachian State, you know, 14, 15 years ago, and they're still talking about it, you know, how the little guy came up and beat the big guy. It's never supposed to happen at this level. You know, if, if you look at, compare anything from budgets to stadiums to, to talent level, but Washington lost to Montana, and that ruined the season to begin with for everybody, and then they got killed on national TV at Michigan, and then they got beat at the buzzer by Oregon State by mismanaging the clock. So there's a lot of disappointment around this football team, which means a lot to the fan base, just like the Oregon Ducks mean, you know, to theirs, their followers. And and this would go a long way to making people feel better, making maybe the team feel better. But right now it's a lost season, um, you know, because it was supposed to be so much better. Well, well yeah, I mean, it's especially with – with like you were saying, you know those, those big losses, people are gonna gonna harp in on those. But but like we mentioned earlier, with the way the Pac-12 is shaping out, who knows what can happen if if they can if they can pull it out in this one. But I'm I'm excited to get up there to Seattle. I've I've never watched a game at, at Husky Stadium, you know, right there on the water. Even if it's not going to be you know the nicest day, I'm I'm still pretty excited to take it in um, and just kind of see what what it's all about over there. No, it's a good football environment, but just the football hasn't been as good as it should be. And But, you know, that's almost the nature of the college game this year because, you know, there just hasn't been a real super dominant team with Alabama losing. And, you know, Texas was supposed to be back to powerhouse status with Sarkeesian, and he's blown three gigantic leads in their last three games, and their fan base is really unhappy. And, and there's just been, you know, the Ducks should have put away Stanford because I watched that game, and they – let them hang around like Washington, let Montana hang around. And, and then they got bit for it, but that's been kind of the, the general theme of this football season. And, and, and maybe it's a good thing because, you know, we've watched Alabama and Clemson and Ohio state win all the national titles recently. And, and it's gotten kind of boring for the rest of the college football landscape. And I think there needs to be some new blood. There needs to be a PAC 12 team in that college football playoff that goes and wins it. And, and I thought maybe this would be the year I thought USC would be decent to go with the ducks. And, and, and I thought a decent Husky team, and I thought maybe one of those teams would get in that playoff system and make a run, but it, you know, the ducks still could get there and still could do that, but it's time for that new commissioner to upgrade PAC 12 football from top to bottom and make it more competitive and uh, maybe maybe the rest of the college scene, now we're coming out of this pandemic somewhat, 
uh, has kind of made things a little bit more, brought more parity to the game, which I think is vastly needed, especially for the Pac-12 to come back in and be a, you know, a serious entity in it. Ducks are definitely looking like the Pac-12's best hope now, but like we've kind of been harping on here, there's still so much uh, that they have to do. Um, and then, you know, kind of just to, to touch on one of my keys to the game here, you talked about letting Stanford hang around. The Ducks got to come out fast in this one. I mean, they did it against Colorado. Really hasn't been a, a calling card for them. Uh, you know, came out against UCLA and was trailing two touchdowns in the blink of an eye. So in a rivalry game, you really can't afford to let your foot off the gas and they're going to have to come out and really deliver that opening punch. But, you know, Dan, this, it's been it's been great getting to kind of get some insight into the the Washington Huskies football program. But before we get out of here, I always like to give uh, guests on the podcast uh, a chance to, to plug their work, share their work. Where can people find you and, and more of your Washington Huskies coverage? Well, we're Husky Maven and our, our uh, URL is si.com slash college slash Washington. And um, also, you know, it's on Twitter with uh, Dan Rayleigh, at Dan Rayleigh one. And, and uh, yeah, and you just, you know, Huskies and Dan Rayleigh, if you want to uh, Google it, it comes right up. And yeah, that's, um, that's what we've got. There you have it. All right. Yeah, I know, uh, you know, Oregon fans, they, they want to see kind of what, what's going on from the opponent's perspective. So all the Duck fans listening, go over and, and give uh, Dan's stuff. He's doing a lot of great content over there at Husky Maven. If you want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter at that name on your screen there, at mtaurussports. Uh, and you can also subscribe to the YouTube channel where this podcast will be. Uh, it's called Oregon Football Max Taurus. So I'm really trying to grow that. And then it just really helps me if we can get some more support there. And then the other social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at Ducks Digest. Got some amazing photos going out from our photographer, Scott Bolt. That'll do it for this one, everyone. A big thank you to Dan for coming on to break down this matchup. And we will see you in the next episode. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.